This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Let's go to the first chapter of the book of Acts. A student of the Bible who knows the Lord would have to admit that the most important, profound week in the history of civilization happened the week that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. I'll stand behind that statement. There was a universal flood. It destroyed everything. But that wasn't as significant as what happened the week that Jesus died and rose again. We've seen world wars. None of that has been as important or significant in its effect on our race as when Jesus died and rose from the dead. Like an earthquake at the bottom of the ocean that results in a great and sweeping tsunami. Remember a few years ago when those were happening? Some of us had never witnessed anything like that. The ocean goes out, seems to disappear. And a lot of us learn for the first time, when the water goes out, you run for high ground. Because when it comes back, there's nothing to stop that surge. In the same way, what happened after the resurrection affected human history the same way but in a positive way. The record of those supernatural events is found in the book of Acts. It's referred to often in our Bibles and in print, the Acts of the Apostles. I believe that it is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through the church. What happens is not limited to what the Apostles were doing, though they led the charge. Now, am I overstating what the Lord did in the book of Acts through the apostles and the church? I don't believe so. In fact, later we'll see the Jews in Thessalonica cry out to the rulers of that city, Acts 17 and verse 6. These that have turned the world upside down are come here also. They weren't exaggerating. This is why I think it's proper to give this series that we started a week ago, the title, Acts, Gospel Power, Global Impact. And only the Holy Spirit could describe for us what happened. And let's pause tonight and just consider what the Lord continues to do. I stand here. All around us on these walls are the pictures of missionaries. We've got missionaries in our midst tonight. Think of the fact that all across this world today, people of different tongues, languages, cultures, were worshiping the God of heaven following this book just like we're doing tonight. And in fact, in places where there's the most opposition, 
1040 window, for instance, they tell us that, that the gospel is sweeping through there. The Chinese government would never print it, nor do I think they actually know. But there are millions of believers in China as we speak. You cannot stop the gospel. You say, well, pastor, around the world there are Mormons. Around the world there's Islam functioning. But it is not transforming lives into the image of Jesus Christ and preparing people for eternity. None of that is. It's blinding. It's oppressive. There's only one who can bring real liberty and freedom, and that's Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. So the powerful events of what happened were given by the Holy Spirit through a human author, who was a doctor, a physician. A Roman would have referred to him in Latin as Lucanum. A Greek would have called him Lucanos, or the abbreviation of his name as we know it, Luke. There are a number of reasons we can be certain Luke was the human author of this book. Though it is the word of God because it was inspired, it was breathed out by God, who worked through holy men of God, including a Gentile named Luke. How do we know that he was the author, the human author of this book? Well, there are several reasons. We can't spend a lot of time with these. But the advanced use of the Greek language as in Luke's gospel and in, the book of, and in the book of Acts, show us that this was in fact someone who had been raised a Greek, a Gentile. The similar writing style of the gospel in the book of Acts also shows us who the author was. The deep interest in human physical wellness. Which of the gospels has most of the miracles when it came to healing? Well, those were given to us by a doctor. And then when you get into the book of Acts, again, there, there is that emphasis. And the keen interest in the impact of Jesus' ministry and the church's impact, book of Acts, on the Gentiles. And there's this. Both Luke's gospel and the book of Acts reference a man named Theophilus. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise, or really the first treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. A reference to a previous writing, which we know as Luke's gospel. All right, so the former, the first treatise, of course, written on a scroll. It was an account he says, I have made, O Theophilus. The name Theophilus means loved of God. In Luke 1.3, he is referred to as most excellent Theophilus, showing that he was probably an official held in high respect by Dr. Luke. The word excellent is a Greek word which means very honorable. 
and is only used, this is interesting, only used by Dr. Luke one time in Luke's gospel and three other times in the book of Acts. He's the only one that uses this word. The three other times in Acts, Acts 23, 24, and in chapter 26, are all references that are made to the governor Felix. They're made by a Roman captain who's in charge of the garrison at the, in the fortress of Antonia up in Jerusalem. There's been a plot to assassinate Paul. As God would have it, Paul's nephew overhears the conversation. I think that's amazing. He runs and tattles. He tells the captain of the guard. Well, he tells Paul. Paul sends him to the captain of the guard. And then the captain of the guard writes a letter to excellent Felix. Also, a lawyer comes down later to Caesarea and, and uh, stands before uh, Felix. And he also refers to him as noble Felix. And then Paul, in his own defense, standing before this same governor, uses that word. These were all referring to him with a title of great uh, uh, honor. Now, why was Luke writing to Theophilus? Well, it can only be one of two reasons. First, he was either trying to convince the man to have faith or to encourage him in his faith. Just take a moment to consider how long this writing is. If you're curious about that, go home, take out a pad of paper, and you just copy down the book of Acts. And then if, if that goes quickly, then start on the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Why would a doctor with a pen, an inkwell, spend all the time to write this out? To Theophilus, he is either burned about the man's soul, or now that he has given his soul to Christ, Luke wants to encourage him in the faith. Let me ask this question tonight. Is it possible that God used Luke's gospel to bring the man to salvation, and the book of Acts was used by God to encourage his sanctification as a believer? I mean, I'm just asking the question. Now, having asked the question, there is something that immediately comes to the forefront here as far as application. When you and I are trying to win people to Christ, and if they come to Christ, then disciple them, what they need is intensive exposure to the Word of God. What Jesus did and what Jesus taught. You can't give them too much Bible. And I believe that that's what Dr. Luke was doing for this man. And with anticipation, I, I, I want to get to heaven and meet O Theophilus. Truly, he was loved of God, right? And this reminds us how the scriptures should be used to convince, win, and disciple to Jesus all those who are loved of God. And by the way, what does John 3 tell us? For God so loved the, the world. They need this book. 
Now, I personally believe that Theophilus was a believer by this time because the Holy Spirit has Luke begin to explain two ways that Jesus prepared his followers to take the gospel to the world. Why would you share with an unsaved man that information? So I personally believe that to encourage Theophilus now, he's going to share with him the account of how God, through the gospel, reached the Roman world. And by the way, it went beyond the Roman world. Luke tells Theophilus what the Lord did and what he taught. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now what did Jesus do? What did he do? We're going to see what he taught in a moment. But what did he do? Well, the Lord graciously worked to prove that he was alive. You realize that no one had ever seen somebody raised from the dead until Jesus' earthly ministry. really started with Lazarus. There was the son of the widow at Nain. But when you've given your life to follow an individual that the Romans then crucify on a cross, and then you hear rumors that he's alive, you're going to need some convincing. That just doesn't happen. And so Jesus proved he was alive. Now we're going to skip around a little bit in the text just to show the emphasis because there are really two themes that run through these verses. And so look at chapter 1 of verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up. So he's taken up physically into heaven. Jesus was convincing the disciples of his resurrection. Look at verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days. Now God is so good. And I, and I love this. You can go back to the end of the Gospels and you can see after his resurrection what Jesus did to encourage and convince the disciples. And Luke, in the book of Acts, just picks up on that. Again, infallible proofs, 40 days while he's still on the earth after his resurrection. Now just over a month's time, day after day, the Lord gave proof that removed all doubt of the resurrection. The scripture tells us that they touched him. Remember, the disciples see the Lord and Thomas is not with them. And Thomas shows up and we've seen the Lord. And Thomas makes those statements. I'm not going to believe until I can put my finger in those wounds and my hand in his side. Well, John 20, 27, 28, God gives Thomas the opportunity to do that. And he's convinced. By the way, they also ate with our Lord. We find in Luke 24, 42, and 43 that when they're assembled back together, uh, there's fish and there's a honeycomb there. And the Lord, after encouraging the disciples again, he says, do you have food? This is what they present. And he eats before them. Pretty good convincement that somebody's alive. They're eating food. 
And then, again, chapter 1 and verse 2, and we'll see this a little bit later also. Then they watched Jesus bodily ascend back into heaven. Were they convinced? Sure, they just gazed. Never seen anybody do that either. Wow. Why did the Lord do this? Again, he was showing them that the resurrection was real, he's alive, and he's here in body. Now, having said all that, it's no wonder that the resurrection would be the emphasis of the disciples' early ministry. Here's our danger today. We have the record of it, and we can just kind of get used to it. Oh, yeah, Easter, Jesus rose. No, no, no. Jesus rose. He rose. And so watch the emphasis that the or the apostles have to that reality as we just quickly do a scan of just the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1. Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, Peter's preaching, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his what? Resurrection. Go to chapter 2. Notice verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. We saw it. Chapter 3. Notice verse 15. Again, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Go over to chapter 5. Again, verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. Do you see a pattern here? you see a theme? All right. We'll sing in a service like this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know we mean it. But that was the singular thing that Jesus took time to convince the disciples of before he ascended back to heaven. Because with all that they were going to face as they did his work on this earth, they had to be convinced he's alive. And, and along with that then is this wonderful promise, and lo, I, the risen Lord, am with you always, even unto the end of this age. Wow. So you get this sense from the apostles then when they start to minister, it doesn't matter what you do to me. I serve the risen Lord. So the Lord convinces them of that. Now Luke wrote this account to Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and then, notice, and teach. As Jesus proved he was alive, he also reminded them about their mission. Secondly, Jesus reminded them that he had called them to a specific work, their mission. Look at verse 2 again, chapter 1. He, through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had 
chosen. Now look at the end of verse 3. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4, you'll see that when he was, uh, he was assembled together with them, he gave another command, and we'll look at that command in a moment. But step back and notice what Jesus was doing. He appeared, and he also disappeared over 40 days. And you'll see that as you read the end of the different gospel accounts. He'd show up. Doors closed, there he is. Came right through the door. They go up to Galilee. They fish all night. They look up, oh, there he is. He's on the shore. They don't know that he's there. Somebody's there and it looks like they've fixed breakfast. That's a good deal. And then they discover it's the Lord. And then, oh, by the way, two are on the road to Emmaus, and whoop, there he is. That was not accidental. That was purposeful. And in doing so, he was proving his resurrection, and each time he did teaching. The disciples never knew when he was going to be there. But they were required to remember what he said. What excellent preparation was this for the church? What, what excellent help for even us this evening? Why? Well, the days were coming when they wouldn't see him physically. But the presence of his spirit, spirit of Christ living in them, and his clear instructions would be all that they needed. Remember, lo, I am with you always. And what did Jesus say the Spirit would do? He will bring to your remembrance all that I have commanded you. Notice in these early verses how many times that word command is used. So the Holy Spirit indwelling you, He's your, your ever-present comforter. He's your guide. Uh, he's going to meet all your needs. The, the Lord even instructed, when you stand before those who are persecuting you, don't take thought about what you're going to, just open your mouth, I'll fill your mouth. So he's there to meet all of those needs, the resurrected Lord. They knew of his presence, and he had done all that he needed to do to teach them and prepare them for the work of Ahead. Now back in verse 3, Jesus again taught them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now why? Why would he teach them about the kingdom of God? Why, why bring that back up again? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Why did he say that? Well, back in verse 6, they're again asking, When are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus, our Lord, you've died, you've resurrected. Okay, the work of redemption is done. Now you're going to establish a physical kingdom, right? No. Not yet. What's the greater work? You're not going to know the times of the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now here's the work. 
And he shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. The book of Acts is so vital to our perspective even today. Are any of you looking up and wondering, Lord, how long? When are you coming back? Lord, just, I've prayed this. Lord, just take us out of this mess. And he's going to. But you know what? The time of that, that's not for us to know. Jesus said it here. He says it in other places. Our responsibility is to remember we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. All power, all authority has been given to Him, and through Him now we have the power and the authority to do His work. He'll never leave us, and He's told us all that we need to know about serving Him during this age. And by the way, His grace is sufficient. All right. So, because the restoration of Israel on earth was still on their minds... The Lord made sure that they understood the kingdom of heaven was to be their chief concern. Helping sinners come to know Christ so they could be citizens of that kingdom. So Dr. Luke tells Theophilus that Jesus was finishing the final preparation of his disciples by what he did and what he taught. But here comes the part that would electrify the early church and continue to make the church an unstoppable force even today. And I've referenced it a couple times in the passages that we've read. Look at verse 4. And being assembled together, and literally the Greek there means they're assembled, but they're also eating. Again, more proof, resurrected Lord. Assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard from me. In other words, already you've heard this. Now where have they heard that? Jesus has already told the disciples before he died, it's needful that I go away. Remember the teaching in John? Why? Because if I don't go away, I'm not going to send this comforter of the very same kind. He's my spirit, spirit of Christ. When he comes... He's going to enable you to do the work. Now here's the promise, verse 5. For John, speaking of John the Baptist, truly baptized you with water, but ye shall be baptized, the tense there in the original language, future passive. What's that mean? All right. Jesus said, wait in the upper room. We're going to see in just a short while, they gather in this upper room in obedience to the Lord. And they're praying. Oh, they're not working, working themselves up in a frenzy. They're just praying. They're just waiting. In the future, passive means that the action is going to be done to them. They're praying, and the Lord sends the Spirit of God. And He indwells every one of those believers. He takes over. And then you hardly can catch your breath. Peter's preaching on the Temple Mount to all of these Jews. Thousands are being saved. What is this? 
power of the Holy Spirit. And that was the promise. And he said this, he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Not long from now. And so that brings us to the final point tonight. Jesus commanded them to wait for the Holy Spirit's coming. The supernatural placing of these believers by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's what the baptism is. It was about to happen. And the power of that event at Pentecost would have a global impact like nothing seen before. Now, let me just ask us again to take a step back and look at the broader scope of things. The Roman Empire. Remember Babylon? Remember Daniel's image that he dreamed and he saw? And you've got in that image, you've got this iron. And you have described an empire that would come on the global scene and would war and defeat with a crushing blow like nothing the world had ever seen before. Not like Babylon, not like Greece. Who is this? It's Rome. But as you study history, and that's why, young people, history is important to know, along with your Bible. Primarily your Bible, but history too. As you study church history, what you realize is this, this empire pictured by iron that crushes. Get through the book of Acts, and already the church was making supernatural inroads into that society. Within a hundred years, Rome would fall. An emperor would make it the official religion. And then corruption started to come into the church, unfortunately. But what brought down Rome? Well, it was, it was the Germans. Let's blame the Germans. Okay? Uh, no, it wasn't. Now, yeah, the, those, those hordes from the north... They helped bring down Rome, but the point was, it was the power of the gospel. And oh, by the way, that's just a snapshot of what is going to happen when you get to the end of Dan seeing Daniel's dream in that image. Because at the end of the church age, and then when, when we get to the tribulation time, what you have, the, the base of that image, the feet, it's iron mixed with clay. And we looked at what that is in the book of Revelation. It's, it's this economic religious entity that involves Rome again. And what does Daniel see in his vision? There is a rock not made with hands that comes out of the heavens, crushes the feet of that image, and the whole thing topples. Well, who is that? That's Jesus and he's coming back with his saints. We all get to watch him do it. And so he starts his work, his redemptive work through the church, book of Acts. And then he's going to rapture his church away someday. What did, what did uh, the angels tell the disciples? Just as you've seen him go up, you're going to see him come back. 
Only this time we're all going to get to meet him up in the clouds. So we'll ever be with the Lord, as Paul taught the Thessalonians. And so Jesus commanded them to wait for the Holy Spirit's coming. So let's compare Luke's gospel and the book of Acts one final time before we close. And I'll use the words of F.F. F. Bruce, commentator, preacher. He said this, As the gospel of Luke tells us what Jesus began to do and teach, so Acts tells us what he continued to do and teach by his Spirit. Did Jesus have a mighty ministry on this earth when he was here physically before he went to the cross? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Is that work continuing today through Christ? Yes. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is our intercessor. He is our Lord. But he sent his spirit and those mighty works that he did while he walked around those Palestinian hills and in Jerusalem, he is still doing that work today as believers will yield to that same Christ, our Lord, our risen Lord, and will let him do his work through the believer. Did you see in verse 2, before Jesus ascended back to heaven, that he was giving commandments to the apostles through whom? Look at it, verse 2, what's it say? Through the Holy Spirit. So even after his resurrection, the work he was doing on this earth in his glorified body, Acts identifies he was doing that through the power of the Spirit. His whole ministry on this earth, just like our whole ministry on this earth, the same powerful person of the Godhead, who had enabled Jesus' ministry through his passion right up to his ascension, was now about to come upon the disciples as he had empowered Christ. So here's the conclusion. Luke was written to show what Jesus did on earth through his physical body. Acts was written to show what Jesus did from heaven through his spiritual body, the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. The Gospel of Luke was written to show what Jesus did on earth through his physical body. And by the way, how did Luke represent the Lord? The perfect man. <laughs> Acts was written to show what Jesus did from heaven through his spiritual body, the church. And by the way, what is he doing in us? He is perfecting us. And, and later we get a new body too but showing what he did from heaven, is doing from heaven, through his spiritual body, the church, by the power of his spirit. And as I commented early, no wonder the scripture tells us that the gates of hell that empowered Rome, that empowers nations today, they cannot prevail against the work of Christ through his church, through you, through me. We too have received the promise of the Spirit. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You are a continuation of what we're going to learn in the book of Acts. What you already know from this book. 
What has changed? Well, we, we just are coming along. We're the sheep that the Lord was yet going to be given. And it just happens to be a couple thousand years later. But when it comes to the indwelling spirit and the ability of the spirit to work through us to do greater works, nothing has changed. That is what the Lord gave us the book of Acts to see. So may we believe, may we yield. We are not limited. Greater is he that is in us. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.